toward the end of the scripture passage for this morning, after the luminous figures on the mountain, after the bright cloud, after the heavenly voice calling out from within the cloud, after the disciples fall on their faces in terror, after all of that, Jesus says, get up and do not be afraid. Get up and do not be afraid. Seems a little startling, maybe even a little unbelievable. Get up and do not be afraid. After all that has happened up there on the mountain, the dazzling figures first of Jesus and then Jesus and Moses and Elijah, the bright cloud, the heavenly voice, the powerful and awesome vision and vibration of the holy, get up and do not be afraid. I have to think that if this was the only story of this sort in the Bible, maybe the fear not command would be even more startling or maybe even more far-fetched than it seems at first glance. But this is not the only story about this strange combination of terrifying circumstances followed by fear not proclamations. In the Bible, this kind of thing seems to happen over and over again. Maybe we should be used to it. Think, if you would, of some other times in Scripture when someone says, do not be afraid. Can you think of a couple of examples at least? And if you can, do you notice how each one seems a bit far-fetched, a bit of an extreme contradiction between circumstance and command? What stories do you think of? How about when the angel Gabriel says to young, unmarried Mary, do not be afraid, right when he's about to give her the startling and overwhelming news that she will, quote-unquote, bear the Son of the Most High. That may be the first example that comes to mind. If that's the first one that comes to mind, then a close second, of course, is found in Matthew and Mark's versions of the events of Easter morning after Jesus has been resurrected, and the women encounter an angel at the empty tomb. Matthew 28, 1-5. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook And became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. If you came up with those two examples from Scripture of fear not moments, then good job. Those are big ones, memorable ones. Don't be afraid. But there are many more. There are more angel encounters, for sure. Like when Zechariah encounters the angel in the temple. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. Or when the shepherds hear the news from the heavenly host of angels, and the glory of the Lord shines down on them, and they are terrified. Or as the King James Version says, they were sore afraid. Do not be afraid, says the angel of the Lord, for I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. 
These are stories of angels sing, saying, don't be afraid. But then also there are more stories of Jesus himself saying, don't be afraid. Like the calling story from Luke's gospel, when Jesus has the disciples put out into the deep water after a nighttime of failure with their fishing, and suddenly they have more fish than they can handle, and Simon Peter says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And Jesus replies, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. Or when Jesus sent the disciples out on their first mission and he warns them that they may not be welcomed, in fact, they may be persecuted, do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, is what he tells them. Or when Jairus comes to Jesus to ask Jesus to heal his daughter, but Jesus is delayed, and others come to tell Jairus that it's too late, the young girl has already died, do not fear, says Jesus, only believe. Or how about when Jesus teaches about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field and trusting God to provide? Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Or... When the disciples see Jesus walking on water and are terrified, he tells them, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. In all those examples, the command, do not be afraid, seems a little extreme, doesn't it? Maybe a little disconnected from the circumstances. In each case, there is something terrifyingly holy going on or frighteningly threatening going on, or entirely uncertain and unknown going on. And these kinds of things stir our fear. Here's a heavenly voice from a cloud. Here's a call to bear the Christ in your own body. Here's a blindingly bright angel standing before an empty tomb. Here's a barren woman pregnant with a child that will lead the way to Christ. Here's a host of angels singing their heads off. Here's a prophet who knows all the secrets of the created world and then proves it by showing you how to catch so many fish that your boat might sink. Here's a promise of likely persecution. Here's a young girl declared dead, but who isn't. Here's a call to trust God to provide everything. Here's a man walking on water. But don't be afraid. Really? What about when being afraid is perfectly reasonable? Perfectly expected. What about when fear is the sensible response. Get up and don't be afraid. I talked with the children in the children's time about being afraid of heights, but I get afraid of all kinds of things. I usually just call it anxiety, which is kind of low-intensity fear for me, just like frustration is low-intensity anger. Think about the next time you tell somebody you're frustrated. 
I get afraid when I don't know how something is going to turn out, like my wife's health situation. Is it going to get better? And if so, completely better, partly better? How long will it take? Another year? Another five years? Never? I get afraid when I don't know how things will turn out, especially in situations and concerning people who are close to me. And I get afraid of things that might happen, dangerous things, violent things. The shootings at Michigan State stirred that up in me this week. It happened there, so it could happen here. No place is safe. That makes me afraid. I thought about that as I was over at Manchester University campus this week. I walked across campus noticing the students not paying attention, really, as they walked from one place to the next, toting their backpacks, heads down, ear pods in. What if something bad happens here? I get afraid of the stress and tension in our country and, by extension, in our world. People living in the same world and different worlds at the same time because their definition of what is truth is completely opposite of what their neighbor believes to be true. Opinions and preferences substituted for facts but claimed as facts. Lies propagated for profit and then believed by the masses. That makes me afraid. Are we coming unraveled? And then there are all the things that I could and would be afraid of, except that I am insulated from them. Racist actions toward me as a person, I don't have to deal with that. Being the victim of a natural disaster like the earthquake in Turkey and Syria, suffering through a war like the one going on in, in Ukraine, trying to get asylum granted so that I can stay in this country, trying to figure out how to pay my medical bills or my mortgage or finding enough money to buy food for my family. Those are things I could be afraid of, but which I am able to dodge. And yet, still, those fears swirl about for many others in this world, some of whom are in our own community which makes them my neighbors who live under a cloud of fear. And there are things that I could and sometimes do worry about, you know, those extra things that I take on in my worry, like how much money I need for retirement and the well-being of my children on into the future and the ever-present hovering cloud of losing people close to me because, not to be morbid, every day is a day closer to death. It doesn't have to be a disaster that comes, just enough days and then months and then decades and eventually someone I love will be gone. It's happened again and again and again. And referring to those things just now, instead of the word fear, I use the word worry because that's another word I use, maybe even more than fear or anxiety. I talk about worry. And again, worry, like anxiety, is low-level fear. It's just that it seems like a more tame, a more acceptable word, a more normalized emotion. Get up and do not be afraid. 
I started to read another preacher's take on this scripture text the other day. I sometimes read the dayone.org sermon for the week. The preachers are kind of generally in my theological lane, and so I enjoy seeing what someone else says. And while I didn't particularly take to the sermon offered for this week on this text, one thing did catch my eye. The preacher focused on what the voice said from the cloud. This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And the preacher lasered in on that very last phrase, listen to him, and then in her sermon proceeded to talk about all the things that Jesus talks about in the Gospels from there on out, all things to which we should listen. And I thought to myself, huh, listen to him? Sure. Listen to everything he says? I'll buy that. But I'm not ready to hop away from this passage quite that quickly. Because do you know what the very next thing Jesus says right after the voice says, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him? That's right. Jesus says, get up and do not be afraid. Did you get that? Right after the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved, listen to him, what Jesus says is, get up and do not be afraid. Can I do that? Can I listen to him? Can I get up and leave my fear there in a pile on the ground? Get up and go forward. Get up with courage and determination and go forward. Can I stop worrying about the worst? Can I stop being anxious about the unknown? I'll tell you what, it's tough. Especially when the fear swirls around you like a cloud especially when the thing that's causing you anxiety doesn't get resolved. It's hard to get up and get going. So what do you do? What do I do? Sometimes I get up. I just get up and get going. Even when things are uncertainty and my anxiety is rising because I know from experience that things can and will get better and that often what I fear isn't the same thing as what will actually happen. My exaggerated imagination gets the better of me. But sometimes I can't quite get up and get going. The worry is too real. The anxiety is too paralyzing. And then what? Jesus isn't there to touch my shoulder and whisper in my ear. And even if he was, would I listen? I think that more often than I'd like to admit, I do need reassurance. Someone to say, it's going to be all right. Or as the prayer hymn we sang says, don't be afraid, my love is stronger. My love is stronger than your fear. Don't be afraid. My love is stronger, and I have promised, promised to be always near. Who says that to you? Who says that to me? And what difference does it really make? And I ask, what difference does it make? Because I know and you know that presence, even loving presence, doesn't make persecution or disaster go away. It doesn't prevent conflict, violence, judgment, or condemnation. I know and you know that presence, even loving presence, doesn't prevent struggle. 
It doesn't guarantee security. It doesn't make things turn out right. But it does do something. Presence, an especially loving presence, does do something. It does decrease anxiety. When someone is with you, for you, fully attentive, fully compassionate, it does decrease anxiety. And it does cure loneliness. Having someone stay alongside when the going gets tough or when the uncertainty rises up and crashes like a wave over top of you, it does help to take care of the feeling of being all alone or adrift by yourself. And it does bring comfort. Knowing you are loved, no matter what, is a comfort. And maybe an important part of the scripture story beyond what Jesus says, get up and don't be afraid, is the fact that he also touches them as he says it. Jesus does that a lot in the Gospels, doesn't he? Touches people, assures them, heals them, especially those most hurting, those most vulnerable, those most afraid. God sent Jesus to be with us, right? Emmanuel, God is with us. God knows how much fear we have and how much that fear can affect and even define the direction of our lives. God knows that fear paralyzes, that fear can be the root of mistrust and bear the fruit of hate. God knows. So those words, do not be afraid, are not just a command, but they are an invitation. A holy, a loving, a visionary invitation. Get up off the ground. Stand up. Take a step. And then another step. I'm here with you. I'm here with you. This is God's promise. Don't be afraid. My love is stronger. My love is stronger than your fear. Don't be afraid. My love is stronger. And I have promised, promised to be always near. Thanks be to God.